welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have sex and relationship therapist, Tom Doctor. Join us for a conversation all about approaching our relationships with curiosity. Together, we talk about the healing nature of community, questioning the shoulds, and turning our relationship contracts into Google Docs. Y'all, this is a prime episode where we talk about how to have one better sex. I mean, Tom tells us his best advice, high fat cat, for good sex. And also just how do we begin communication about our relationships? When should we go to relationship therapy? All of the good, good ingredients for building a healthy relationship. So thank you, Tom. I think all of y'all are going to enjoy this episode and definitely take something away from it that you can apply to your relationships today, which I love. And I also just realized that someone left a review of the podcast on Apple that I wanted to read because it is so incredibly sweet. It's from student Leah and it says boundary crossing exclamation point. Modern anarchy intertwines relationships, politics, societal structures, and more in ways that so few other podcasts are doing. So many podcasts that discuss alternative styles to living relationships often seem to do so in a bubble that ignores social structures or are very aggressive in their views on society. In this podcast, however, Nicole acknowledges the complexities of it all and approaches conversation in such a gentle and open-minded way. I also love the nomination approach to finding speakers. It makes for a really great conversation with people that might not otherwise be heard. Leah, I just want to say thank you, all the listeners. You know, I'm making this podcast, granted with all of the guests, but all of the editing, the promotion, all of that sort of stuff is, is me alone in my studio. And so it is just oh, so good to hear such positive words of love and affirmation for all the work that goes into this podcast. So just thank you, Leah, and thank you to all the listeners that keep tuning in each week. I love you all dearly. All right, y'all, tune in. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, how are you doing? I am doing well. Yeah? Yeah, it is morning time. I'm feeling pretty all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy Monday. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you have any questions about the podcast? Any questions for me before we roll into anything? Yeah, um, I guess tell me a little bit about what is the general like format structure. I know you said we kind of just like talk, have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I like to leave it open to what happens naturally. 
Mm-hmm. Also, whatever the person that's on the space feels like is really important that they want to share with the world. I like to hold space for these conversations. And so I don't want to be the person always directing what needs to be talked about. So typically that means I'm, you know, unless someone comes in with a specifically, I want to talk about this topic, then I kind of ask, you know, like, what was your history, your story? How did you get into what you're passionate about now? And then, yeah, just kind of see what rolls from there. Cool. That sounds great. Yeah. I think in reality, too, because I'm studying relationships and polyamory, there's always like this kind of in sex, there's always this kind of like underlying current of questions I kind of ask and get more specific about. So it's kind of hard to ignore that. But for the most part, I also just like to sit back and learn about the person before me. Totally. Awesome. Well, yeah, I I think I'm ready to dive in. Let's 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 go for it. All right. So then my first question that I'm thinking about is like, how did you get into the field of psychology? This is, I feel like there's typically a journey story there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I grew up in the Western suburbs, like very conservative, white, Mm. Catholic, don't talk about feelings, don't do anything. And so I kind of really got to see the change that therapy can have not mm. only in me, but also um, once I got into graduate school and got to kind of like witness other people, I was also consuming a ton of media around therapy. I was also consuming a ton of uh, media around sort of sex education, sex, which was really important for me because it turns out growing up like in conservative Catholic white suburbs, there's not a ton of like super quality sex education you don't say yeah Mm. so Mm. yeah so (laughs) it turns out that like sex ed class being looking at like really horrifying pictures of genitalia with like advanced stage stis is not actually like maybe super effective sex education um (sighs) yeah it's basically like don't have sex or you will die was wow. was the general messaging um and so i did a ton of a ton of work around that and like learning primarily through like podcasts honestly uh i had kind of always been interested in gender stuff gender is it's weird uh what i was noticing uh because i was working on the west side of chicago in north lawndale it's kind of right on the heroin highway So yeah, there's a lot of gang involvement. And what I was noticing was how much of the sort of like stereotypically masculinity stuff was Mm. getting, was creating barriers to motion in therapy and specifically creating barriers to sobriety. Mm, Um, Wow. And so I kind of built this curriculum and it was very much like process oriented around like what does it mean to be a man yeah how do we investigate manhood and what it means to be a man and how do we redefine masculinity in a way that is that works for us and like moves us towards our goals rather than all of the messaging that that may be antithetical to that masculinity is is so easy to become invisible when you're not thinking about it that it's yes. like, no, this is just how it is. I think naturally because of all the sex ed and all the kind of like investigating kink and non-monogamy, I kind of 
naturally became the place that those referrals would go to. Sure. And so kind of organically started to work with a lot more folks that were exploring non-monogamy in different ways Mm -hmm. and sort of pushing on the edges of of sort of quote-unquote alternative communities. And so that was really great. And I was like, this is awesome. And I still like really feel like I'm vibing with queer people primarily. And so it turns out that working almost entirely with queer and trans folks, you get really good at that work. And you also see a lot of different presentations that you might not working with a general population. So there is a really high rate of non-monogamy and um, kink involvement in queer communities. This is very well documented in all sorts of research. I also, while I was at Howard Brown, I, I was like, how do I do that same thing of building group programming that I did when I was at the rehab, but tune it more towards queerness, mm-hmm. turn it outside of conventionality. I built Genderfuck, which is a... Love this. Yeah, which is a pretty radical questioning space. So mm. um, folks that are like, well, gender is weird for me, but like, I don't know if I'm like trans enough in order to go to the trans groups or Mm. I don't know if I'm like I don't know if I like get to have this label or Mm -hmm. or it's like kind of I know gender's weird and stuff but like I'm probably not a woman so like I don't think I should probably call myself trans and so I kind of like conceptualize gender fuck as a space that would get to be Bring your questions, bring your mysteries, bring everything that is weird and awkward, and we'll Mm -hmm. talk about feelings. Yeah. What it turned into eventually was it really became a community group where it was Mm -hmm. like, hey, come have access to this community, and y'all are the intervention. Like, Mm y'all are doing the actual work. Sure, Mm -hmm. I'm like the person that starts the Zoom room. And other than that, like the actual therapeutic in- intervention is just connecting the pieces because there is no wisdom that I have to share that isn't better shared by community. Mm. And so mm-hmm. that is really where the like magic of that group yes. came from. Yes. Was a bunch of folks bringing their struggles, bringing their successes, and being in community together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. Over this whole course of time, I went back to school Mm -hmm. for for sex therapy at University of Michigan because that that became something that I had identified was like talking about sex and talking about relationships. Like those are clients that I really thrive with. And that is the work that feels amazing to do. And so Like, I remember all the way back to graduate school, listening to other clinicians talk about sex. They would get so uncomfortable. And I was like, when sex enters the room, I'm like, cool, let's dive in. Like, how do we lean forward into this? While also, obviously, like, acknowledging hangups, acknowledging that it's taboo, acknowledging that there, like, might be a lot of very good reasons that a client might not want to lean into those conversations. Right. But, like, how can we as therapists, not be the ones shying away. Yes. 
Yes. I love your whole path, right? It's it's not this direct linear, I knew exactly what I wanted to do and just did it. It's this whole winding path of, you know, starting from philosophy to psychology to the substance to the gender to coming in to eventually through all these different pieces, you're finding like the little threads that give you that meaning and feel alive for you, that passion, right? And so it's so exciting. I feel like such a real reflection of the fact that when we're figuring out our paths, it's never linear. It's always that piece of, I tried this hat on and it didn't really feel great, but I liked this. And then you keep doing that until you can find something that really resonates with you. So it's so exciting that you're in a place now that like brings that full aliveness to your work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been it's been huge, and it and yeah, just like you said, it it has been kind of a winding path. And now I'm like really into doing a lot of sex therapy, doing a lot of relationship work, doing a lot of supervision. And so those are the things that light my fire now. And so that's kind of where I'm leaning into. And I think that's kind of like a thing that I would encourage folks to do is to reflect on not like what do I need to do but like what is the thing that I actually look forward to doing yes and obviously like there's other things that you have to do but like where are the places that I'm really connecting exactly exactly yeah there's steps you have to take to get to that place where you can do that right and and there's a lot of little steps that have occurred to get to the place that Mm -hmm. you're at now and so yeah I I think that's a great encouragement and I, I'm kind of torn because I want to talk about the gender fuck, but also given that your light and passion now is with relationships and sex, like I'd also love to talk about that. Like where, where are you at? What is exciting you? What like, yeah, gets you going about it? Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm, I'm always happy to, to talk about gender fuck. That is like, okay, okay, that's, okay. That's my <laughs> yeah. shit. Uh, yeah. But, um, but yeah, we can uh, we can definitely talk about kind of like sex relationships, things like that. So, yeah, what are you, what are you uh, thinking? Yeah, I guess uh, um, something that's been really powerful is um, is the idea of like in relationship therapy, even when I'm working with folks that are either explicitly monogamous or are functionally monogamous, as many relationships that I've worked with over the course of the pandemic have become, like even if they are they're sort of like have a history of being non-monogamous, a history of kind of like existing in that space. Something that's really huge is thinking about what are the ways that we are that we are building a relationship contract together? What are the ways that we are constantly editing that relationship contract? Mm-hmm. And how do we make sure that that stays a living document? And so that means that there may need to be edits on the fly that means that there are situations that were not addressed originally in the shared document that we created. One of the things that I say all the time is that when folks enter a relationship, they often come in with kind of a, a PDF of, of what a relationship should look like. <sighs> and and those two PDFs are almost never the same. Mm. And so what we are doing in relationship therapy is how do we translate that into a shared Google Doc or a shared document that both partners have agency to edit and that we can build together as a unified Mm. script for everybody. Because like families give us a lot of things about how relationships can go right and can go wrong. And there are a lot of unanswered assumptions about how a relation quote unquote should be. 
Mm-hmm. And um, this kind of gets to the way that I generally see therapy, which is from like a pretty radical queer theory lens of like question all of our assumptions mm. and what are the ways that we can we can move towards liberation by questioning yes. the shoulds. Yes, yes. You said, yeah, family gives us so many lenses of, you know, what a relationship should be. And yes, society, my God, is giving us so many prescriptions for how you should be in relationship with another person. Um, And I think it's so tricky when some people don't question that, Mm -hmm. especially speaking from personal experience. I literally just went through a breakup last night, right, Mm -hmm. with someone who – me being who I am, the queer poly person trying to really construct, yeah, what does this relationship mean? What are we doing here? What are our boundaries? What are all these sorts of things? And another person that says, well, we're having a relationship. We know exactly what that means. And I try to say, no, actually, we have to create our word doc together of (laughs) what it means. We're going to create it and it lives. But some people really just have such a rigid expectations of what that is based on societal's examples society's examples that have shown you how to relate to people it's fascinating yeah absolutely and i think that there's there's so much benefit in like even for folks that are or even for couples even for therapists even for folks that like never have any interest in non-monogamy i think there's so much benefit in examining like cool like even if i'm totally fine with every single step of my monogamous relationship from like, and I feel like we're moving on the same page. Let's acknowledge like that a relationship escalator exists. Let's acknowledge the kind of cultural forces that are going on because I have found in so many relationships that that is kind of where, where those disconnects start to happen. It's like, but we've been dating for six months. So like, why have I not met your family? Yeah. Or we are in each other's phones as bay, so like how come how come we're like not exclusive yet? Yeah. Or what is any of these things? And those conversations when they don't happen just fester and fester and fester yes. and lead to resentment. Yes. Yes, exactly. Could you say more? I know you're starting to to someone who's maybe never heard the term relationship escalator, what that means. Yeah, totally. So, so I don't remember who coined the term and I feel, yeah, yeah, I I feel really bad because I will, I will give the the preface that this is not, this (laughs) is not mine. This is absolutely not mine. This is someone else's. I wish I could give them credit. I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure I could give a quick Google, but also I'm not going to do that because we're live. Um, (laughs) But but yeah, the the relationship escalator is, is basically this idea that societal structures i think anytime we use the word society it is often like there are fucking a million societies like what society are we talking about but there's a certain sort of mainstream sense that relationships ought to be moving forward so like one of the reasons that someone might break up is oh i really like this person we have a lot of fun together but like i just don't see it going anywhere and so that's an example of escalator thinking, where it is the assumption that a relationship's value depends on the future of moving towards a mm. certain goal. Yeah. Damn. And so, yeah. And so 
the relationship escalator is kind of this invisible pathway by which there are assumptions of where you should be at certain points. And that a measure of relationship strength is relationship longevity. So like, if we have been together for a year, that means that we should be at a certain point in this escalator. And that without thinking, without anyone making choices along the way, that we kind of get pushed to like, I guess now we should move in. I guess now we should get married. I guess now we should have kids. I guess now we should so on and so forth all the way until death. And so the relationship escalator is really an understanding of the way that these social pressures push us forward without our making conscious decisions of whether or not we want to make those decisions. Exactly. I feel like that's the big piece is like, is this conscious, right? Mm -hmm. Because society tells us that if you're not married, have your 2.5 children in your white picket fence, then yeah, is, is this a good relationship? If you don't make it till the end of your life with, you know, in a marriage with that person, then you, you failed, that relationship failed. We use that sort mm-hmm. of language, right? Exactly what you're talking about, that the quality is so deeply linked to the longevity of a relationship. And what you're talking about is not about monogamy or polyamory. This is just in general with relationships. There is this pressure for all people that, yeah, you need to have certain milestones to be able to check that we've made it. And it's so sad because it's that is such a future thinking for a set of goals that might might be in alignment with you if that's what you want, but frequently societal thinking, and it's taking you away from the joy of the present moment that you have with that person. Exactly what you said. I'm really happy. I'm really happy, but we're not engaged. Something's wrong, right? Yeah. It just takes you away from the joy of the present moment of the beauty of the relationship that you have because you feel like since we don't have this box checked, we're not far enough. Right. Yeah. And I think as a as a teaching tool and as a sort of like thought experiment, tool it's like any time that we consider death as the only win condition like if we reflect on like the only successful relationship is one that i die with that's not setting the bar at exactly where i want my win conditions to be set mm-hmm. and so i will often see clients that will come in and be like tell me about your relationship satisfaction tell me about the my favorite intake question is Tell me about the important people in your life Mm. or tell me about the important relationships in your life. Yeah. Because one, that question opens it up to non-romantic partners and other people. It also signals that it's okay to not just talk about your spouse. Yes. For many people, the most important person in their life is not someone that they're romantic with at all. And I think in our conventional a mononormative social structure, those type of relationships become sidelined and get put second rate to whoever the romantic relationship is. So it might be a boyfriend of four months, but it's assumed that that boyfriend of four months is more highly valued than your cousin that you live with, that you spend all your time with, that you've known since childhood. Right. It's assumed like, well, you have a plus one, so like you're bringing your boyfriend, right? Because that's the most important person to you, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think this is the myth, right? That your romantic partner understands you in some sort of 
deep mystical way that they just know you so well and there's so much there that it is somehow yeah deeper more intricately connected I, I you know whatever the words are to describe this phenomenon but yes exactly that they are the person not a relationship in the you know constellation of all your relationships that you have in your life but the relationship mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, because I, th- I mean, it's like, yes, you can have, I, the, you know, you always want to tear up that line where it's like, that relationship can and is a beautiful thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different layers of intimacy in it. I think exactly what we're trying to say here is the point is that that should not detract from the intimacy of the other relationships that you have. And we have this focus that so gets so almost like horse blinded onto the romantic romantic partner that you don't get to see all of the beauty of the other relationships in your life, which I, I scares me like that super like focused tunnel vision that like, this is my person. It mm-hmm. is a great relationship, but like, how do we expand our perspective to be able to see all the beautiful relationships that we have, whether you're monogamous or poly or whatever, you know, relationship anarchists, like there's so many different relationships here that make up our constellation of people in our lives that, yeah, are meaningful and important as your question asks. Yeah. And I think anytime uh-huh. that there is a, anytime that there is a structure that systemically devalues any relationship, we might want to question that structure whether we're talking about sort of like structures that devalue gay relationships or relationships between different sort of folks uh, marginalized folks that have experienced systemic oppression or whether it is anything else anytime there's a there is an external system or even an internal belief that devalues certain relationships that is a point that i might push on in therapy Mm. that is a point where i'm like oh i'm noticing that like you talk about your mom as like a really important person in your life but then when i ask about your important relationships you never actually mention your mom i wonder why that is Mm. and so whether we put mom in that box whether we put cousin in that box whether we put partner in that box whether we put best friend or sibling or anyone else mentor anyone else i think if we're systematically devaluing relationships that feels like something to investigate more yes a hundred percent i'm so curious though i'd imagine you get a lot of pushback i mean this is a societally you know it's a message that has been ingrained in our value system, exactly a hierarchy that is devaluing other relationships. And I could imagine that the first time you kind of say that to a client who maybe hasn't thought about these things, they're like, well, yeah, that's just my mom. Yeah. And yes. it's just like, how, how, how do you or what do you recommend to anyone who's listening who's maybe not thought about these things? How do we start to challenge and pick apart that? Yeah, I think from as a person that does therapy, as a person that orients in a clinical way to a lot of the folks that I interact with in my life, both like my supervisees and my clients, the way that I primarily come about it is really from a curiosity place. It's like, oh, it's interesting that this is the way that things are valued or that this is it's interesting to me the way that things are structured in your mind. Can you tell me more about that structure? 
Can you tell me more about the ways that you have these things categorized? And then just moving from a place of curiosity, because I think it is one much more effective from a therapy standpoint, and also it allows a whole lot more gentleness to come from the place of like, I wonder how things are, or I wonder if you could tell me more about the way that you structure this, rather than being like, you should be doing things differently, and I know how you should be doing them, and so do them differently, because the way you're doing them is fucked. Yes. <laughs> because even even if that might be what I feel at times, because yep. mm-hmm. uh, folks will sometimes bring like real bizarre, like really, really heavily indoctrinated with what I feel are problematic things. If I come from it from a place of curiosity, I find one, it allows me to be present much more because yes. now we're just investigating. Now we're just, tell me everything. I'm so interested in what's going on. At any time that I can be interested in the clinical work, 100% more effective. Right. Yeah, I mean, because if you come in and you say, you're wrong, this is problematic, what's going to happen? Immediately, defense mechanisms are going to shoot up and just say, absolutely not. I strongly believe in And then it just creates, yeah, there is no ground there to investigate. Um, When you come in with curiosity, it's more like, yeah, how can we tend to this garden? Let's see what's down here in the soil. We want to (laughs) grow some fruit here. Okay, well, let's, let's see what we have underneath. Is it rocks? Is it, you know, weeds? Like, maybe we can pick out slowly. But yeah, if you try and bold you know that's never going to open a person up to explore these things and i mean i think what we also want to do is yeah build curiosity about ourselves right so like in that space you're building that with your clients so then they can come home and throughout the other you know hours of their life outside of the therapy room hopefully they're questioning themselves and saying yeah where does this come from and and do i like this thing that I've been holding on to and using to guide my understanding of the world and my experience. Do I, does this serve me anymore? Yeah. That sort of curiosity, that, that openness allows for a different type of gent- gentleness. And mm-hmm. anytime that I'm doing therapeutic work, I'm thinking, how can we do this from a gentle place? How can we do this from a place that allows more opening and more flourishing and more care? Cause our, Our beliefs are often there. Everything that we do is there for a reason, Mm. often. Mm -hmm. And so are our beliefs there because they have been handed to us? Are our beliefs there because we have kind of built them over time? Are these questioned? Are these unquestioned beliefs? How strongly do they they hold? And I've found Mm. that unquestioned beliefs, if we investigate them with curiosity, it might be the very first time that there has ever been curiosity in turning towards these beliefs. The first time that I I remember working with monogamous couples and the first time just asking really basic questions around like, so like, tell me about what does monogamy mean to you? Great question. And that was like, I like got to watch little brain explosions. Because the idea that Mm. that is even a question that could be asked was not even present. What do you mean, what does monogamy mean? Exactly. And it turns out that, like, the way that they were conceptualizing monogamy was actually pretty different. By one partner's definition of monogamy, the other partner was constantly having emotional affairs. 
But by the other person's monogamy, it was like, no, like, I'm not getting naked with these people. So why, like, I don't, I don't even understand, like, that it does not even compute how this could be cheating. Yep. These are those, those unquestioned beliefs that I think can create a lot of disarray, dysfunction, disorder, challenges in relationships. And I think if we're able to lean in and meet them with curiosity, there can be a lot of space to push on and and question them. Yes, yes. It creates the dysfunction and also at the end of the day, the pain, right? Yeah. I mean, that partner then, you know, to the other partner that was doing the emotional cheating, to their view it wasn't, but to one partner it was. And so then that partner feels deeply hurt and is in pain, right? <laughs> and that is never what we want in relationships. But the problem is when you make assumptions about the agreements that you've come into, then there is no clear boundaries. So yeah, now you can't get mad at the partner for having the emotional affairs because in their mind, they are functioning under the exact same paradigm that they thought the other partner was. And then there is this like, yeah, this whole dysfunction and pain versus taking the discomfort of having these conversations, right? Of acknowledging it, trying to grapple with it, to question these systems of hierarchy that have sat in, you know, our own subconscious. And I mean, that's uncomfortable. Like we don't want to discredit that. That is hard work to sit and grapple and pull apart all the layers but I mean, that pain from the discomfort is so much better than living a really, in my opinion, personally, than living a relationship out to get to a point where there's these massive, you know, disconnects in what you're doing, ultimately leading to significant emotional pain because it wasn't discussed. I mean, yeah, we really, in my opinion, got to start talking about exactly what is monogamy or what do you want it to be? What do you want it to mean to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Anytime we can make monogamy a choice, it's such a beautiful choice to make. Yes, it is. And like, if we look at it from like a kink framework, monogamy is like wildly fucking kinky. Mm. I want you and only you forever. Yeah. Like, that's so fucking hot. Mm. If it was not like, well, this is my only choice, so I guess I'm just going to have to do this because this is just the way that it is. Yes, that reframe. Yeah. Exactly. That's a big switch, though, to see it that way. And I think part of seeing it that way is is the conscious creation of the Google Doc, right? Exactly what Mm -hmm. you were saying earlier is we're creating this together and choosing to create this together rather than being forced by society, which says you have to fit in here and you have to fit until you die in this Mm -hmm. one way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, and that reframe alone will create so much more joy and positivity. And yeah, kinky, great sex when you see it in that light of I'm choosing you out of all the abundant possibilities of other people. It's you, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Rather than the, oh, I have to. This is the person I'm stuck with. Mm-hmm. That reframe is so different. Yeah. And it leads to very different conversations about relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly thinking about the importance of the narratives and the frames that we look at everything because at the end of the day, that's what makes up our experience, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's just so wildly powerful, the concepts that we use in our brain to describe our experience, to describe our relationships. And do you feel like – I know we talked about a lot of different things today. I always like to hold a little bit of space towards the end in case there was something that you're like, damn, we didn't hit on this and I wish we would have – 
And now I'm going to be upset. No, you're like, no, that's fine. No, I mean, honestly, like, yeah, if there's if there's anywhere else that you wanted to go, I'm happy to go there. If there is anywhere, if you feel summation, I feel totally good. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you brought up a lot of great topics, right? We talked about the relationship escalator and recognizing these pressures of where our relationships are supposed to go to fit certain norms and how do we start to have the conversations of deconstructing the hierarchy of different relationships, about the power of co-creating, you know, the relationships that you have together and the beauty of the reframe of how you're seeing that co-created process. I mean, I, I feel like this is a great, great conversation for people who monogamous poly anywhere across the board to start asking these questions about their relationships. And I think it will be a very fruitful process. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think that my biggest plug would be to see a relationship therapist before things are so bad that there's mountains of resentment and frustration. Because I think that in the same way that we talk about kind of like meeting beliefs with gentleness, I think that there are a lot of ways that over time in relationship when we are consistently, when we feel like we are unheard, unseen, feel like our partner is not on the same page or is working against us, or that the things that I value are not valued in the relationship. As those things get further and further down the road, the more challenging it is to address them. Yes, completely. I, I feel like Esther Perel is always talking about the fact that people come into couples therapy as the last, like, mm -hmm. it's the exit of the relationship sometimes rather than the, the building. And I, I wish we could normalize, yeah, couples therapy when there's no problems. Right. I will say that, like, I disagree with many, many things about the Catholic Church as a person that, that grew up sure. very Catholic. One thing that I actually really like is that in order to get married in the Catholic Church, mm, yeah. you have to go to all of the things that happen in the actual pastoral counseling, like not not 100% on board. But the fact that you have to go to like eight weeks of premarital counseling ahead of getting married is like, what a cool idea. Why do we only normalize relationship therapy when it's like we are beyond our breaking point we couldn't possibly do this alone, so I'm going to, as a last-ditch effort, threaten that I'm going to leave if we don't go to therapy. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. What a terrible time. Because, like, it's so hard to build a unified goal when you're already that far out. Yeah, oh, 100%. And that is the thing that is needed above all else to do effective relationship therapy is, like, can we have a unified goal? Mm. And can we work together? Yeah. Part of the issue is that we haven't normalized therapy. You know, it, it's getting better even just mm -hmm. for individual therapy. The concept of going not when you're feeling suicidal or other right. things, but just because there are aspects of your life that you want to process through and get better at showing up in the world, right? Mm -hmm. We have such this negative framework where you have to be flat on your face falling apart to be able to go to therapy and i hope we're changing as a society now where we can recognize that you can be a functional person and still have a lot to process up here so have a lot that is beneficial to unpack in a therapy room and i hope as time progresses and more conversations like this happen relationships will take that same space right where we can recognize oh yeah we can come here because we want to work better on communication 
we do a great job now, but we want to do an even better job. And like, yeah, like, let's lean into that. I know it's a, a privilege to be able to have the, you know, resources to do therapy. But I, I think if you have them, then hell yeah, let's normalize that and get that going. Totally. And I think, yeah, I think we've seen even just in the last 10 years where being like, yeah. oh, yeah, my ther- like, oh, yeah, I'm going to start going to therapy that yep. doesn't have the automatic assumption of like, oh, no, what's wrong? Yeah, are you okay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and I'm I'm hoping that we can normalize relationship therapy in the same way. Yeah. Um, we all come into relationships with some form of big or little T trauma in relationships in the past. Mm-hmm. And that shit shows up. Yes, it does. And why are we not talking about that? Mm, exactly. Let's not settle. Let's yeah. rise above. Let's keep growing. Yeah. And that is a great segue because the one question I do ask everyone on the podcast mm-hmm. is what is one thing you wish other people knew was more normal? And you literally just said it. But if you have something else that comes yeah. to mind, you can say that too. Yeah. I think relationship therapy, absolutely. That counts. Also, talking about sex and relationships in a way that is not scandalizing recognizing that talking about sex is taboo and that so much of the mental health ramifications of sexual stuff is around the taboo. Mm-hmm. And so what are the ways that we can open up those conversations in a way that doesn't have to be titillating? Because I think that is the problem is that when we talk about sex, we talk about sex in like, oh, this is like sexy. Now we're having like I, I guess that means that like maybe we're moving towards being sexual in our relationship because you mentioned that sex has happened in other relationships. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I think talking about sex doesn't have to be inherently erotic. And the fact that we only talk about sex if we're going to try to have sex with someone is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Opening up that conversation allows for deeper intimacy better communication and and i'll say i think better sex yeah absolutely when you are talking about sex with people that you are wanting to have sex with you're gonna have better sex if you if you're not good at talking about sex you're probably not good at doing it (sighs) and so yeah yes like (laughs) if i'm if i am talking to undergrads or things like that i will sometimes go and do like sexual health or relationship presentations Mm -hmm. and that's that's always something that i will say is like especially like 19 year old cis men that are like i want to make my girlfriend come how do i get really good at doing sex cool so like we could talk about anatomy we could do years and years of training around sort of like vulvas vaginas anatomy nerve stuff we could do all of that what's much much more important is learn how to talk about sex, learn how to talk, learn how, even more so, learn how to listen. Mm. And yes. that's like the, the best sex advice that I could possibly give is like, learn how to listen and not just when your partner is talking about sex. Yes. But yeah, that's a whole nother conversation. That's a conversation. I know. I'm like, you ready for another hour? We need episode two. Tell me what you know about sex. I need your wisdom. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But I think that is such a wise piece. Yeah. Learn how to listen about sex and learn how to listen about other stuff too. I mean, all at the end of the day, it's that intimacy 
to feel safe with another mm-hmm. person, to explore and to play to in all the beautiful eroticness that is sex. And if you're not able to communicate about that, then yeah, are the conditions of safety there for you to feel safe to explore? And totally, yeah. Ugh. I really appreciate all the wisdom that you brought on today and all the questions. I hope listeners are just going to be grappling with all the things that you've given them from your experience and a lot of your clinical work. So thank you. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm happy to have gotten to do this. This was great. This was fun. Yeah. Good. Is there anywhere that you want to plug specifically to? No, go to therapy. Go to therapy. Yeah, I don't, (laughs) I don't. Social media plug. (laughs) Right, exactly. I don't have social media. I am like, terrible millennial in that i have i have no social media i have no footprint <laughs> online i am that's good honestly you tell me that you live in the real world and only the real world what that's weird. <laughs> it's very weird yeah <laughs> yeah well i appreciate you so much yeah thank you so much for coming on the podcast yeah absolutely thanks for having me If you enjoyed today's episode, then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're a part of the Anarchist community, then follow us on Instagram or nominate a guest for the show by sending in a letter to modernanarchypodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.